Well, good morning, everyone. Thanks, Clark. Appreciate that. And uh, we're glad to see you this morning um, as we continue in a series that we've been calling God Connect. Uh, if you were with us last week, you might remember we started this series. If you're a first-time guest with us this morning, thanks for being here. We're glad you're able to, uh, to join us this morning. And uh, like Clark said, uh, we would love it if you could grab that, uh, that gift we have for you at the Welcome Center afterwards, just our way of saying thanks for uh, being with us. But put simply, what this series is about, if you missed last week, is, uh, is this whole series is really about prayer. That's what we've been talking about. Which, of course, isn't real surprising, right? Here we are at a church, and we're talking about prayer. It seems pretty typical. Um, so, uh, so what is it about this series that makes it special, right? It's something you'd expect. You go to a church, you're talking about prayer. Why are we looking at this? Why is this such a strong focus for us, and what makes this series special? Well, last week, if you were with us, you might remember we were talking about the fact that the reason we're doing this series is because we said that prayer is one of those things um, that is often advised, and yet it's seldom explained, Right? And so we, we, we said that, especially for those, for those of us who kind of grew up in or around the church, and I know that's not everybody, but for those of us who kind of grew up in and around the church, or if you grew up with a strong religious background, my guess is that prayer has been one of those things that's been strongly advised. Right? And so you have a problem in your life, and uh, what, what, what are we oftentimes told? Well, you pray about that. Right? You better pray some more about that. Uh, it's something that's advised very often. People say, well, I've, you're not praying enough. You need to pray more. You, know, you need to be more disciplined about the way that you pray. And I think that, uh, that and at least the majority of our culture probably looks favorably upon prayer, right? Well, like, for example, if someone were to say to you, our thoughts and our prayers are with you, uh, that tends to be a pretty nice gesture. And so, like, like I said, prayer is one of those things that's often advised, yet we, we said this. We said that it's one of those things, though, that's seldom explained. And, and so really the heartbeat of this series is, we said, is really to back up, and we want to ask the bigger questions about prayer. So, for example, like, what is prayer exactly? Uh, what happens when I pray? What is the significance of it, the meaning of it? Why does God put, you such, put such a strong emphasis on um, prayer? And so that's why we've been doing this series. So we, we basically said this. We said the point of this series is not simply to give you a guilt trip, to tell you that you need to pray more, just discipline yourself and grit your teeth and pray a little harder. That's not what the, the, this series is about. The series is more about asking the bigger questions of what is prayer um, and, uh, and why is it so important to God. And I believe that if we can begin to understand a little bit more about prayer, it will result in uh, a higher frequency of us praying as well. And so that's kind of what we're doing in this series. If you were with us last week, uh, you might remember we kind of introduced this, this whole uh, concept of, of prayer. And if you missed that, by the way, I'd really encourage you to go online. Um, you can either get the podcast or you can watch the sermon there just to kind of get the introduction. But let me just summarize for you a few of the conclusions that we made last week. I'll just put these up on the PowerPoint uh, real quick. But a few, a few conclusions we came to last week um, as we were talking about prayer. First and foremost, we said this. We said prayer itself is mostly powerless. And so last week, if you were with us, we said the activity of prayer in and of itself is mostly powerless. And, uh, and we, we looked at a couple psychological studies. We talked about the fact that every major religion prays. And we said that really prayer in and of itself, the activity of prayer, is mostly powerless. Basically, it's on par with a power nap. It's kind of what we said, right? Uh, and then we said this. We, uh, last week, we said this. We said, so prayer itself is mostly powerless. Prayer is only as powerful as one behind it. And you might remember last week we looked at 1 Kings chapter 18, and we looked at two different prayers as kind of a case study. And one prayer was very extensive, was very fervent, was very authentic, and yet it resulted in nothing, right? And there was another prayer that was very brief, um, that was very short, that was very heartfelt, and it resulted in unbelievable power. And we said, what's the difference between these two prayers? We said, the difference is the one who was behind it. 
And, uh, and so last week, we, we kind of concluded, we said prayer is only as powerful as the one behind it. And then finally, the final thing that we concluded last week was we said that prayer is not learned. If you really want to learn about prayer, prayer is not learned by focusing on it, right? If you want to learn to pray, it's not about focusing on prayer. If you really want to learn to pray, it's by focusing on the one who's behind it. And, and if we can understand the one who we're praying to, and then prayer begins to make sense. And, uh, and so this, this, this week, what we want to do, and like I said, if you missed that conversation, I'd encourage you to grab that online and check it out. But this week, what we want to do is we actually want to continue that conversation. And I just kind of want to start from where we left off last week, which is saying that if we want to understand prayer, we need to understand the one who's behind prayer. And, and so that's kind of my aim and my hope today is to really focus on, um, on that particular point. Um, today. I think one of the most insightful passages that we have on prayer in the entire Bible is found in Luke 11. You don't need to flip there. Um, in fact, I'm going to have you flip to a parallel passage to that this morning in just a second. But in Luke chapter 11, we see a very, very fascinating conversation between Jesus and his disciples. I think it's one of the most insightful passages we have on prayer. So let me just throw it up on the PowerPoint for you. Here's what it says. It says, one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, can you teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples to pray? And Jesus said to them, when you pray, say, and then he went on and he taught his disciples to pray. Now, I think this is one of the most insightful passages on prayer, and here's why. Because, I want you to think about this. Jesus' disciples, they were, they were, there were 12 guys, 12 young Jewish guys, who would have been with Jesus almost every waking moment of the day. They were with him, they observed him, they saw him all the time. And the Bible tells us, especially in the book of Luke, it tells us that Jesus had a very unique prayer life, that Jesus would oftentimes go, the Bible tells us in the book of Luke, that Jesus would oftentimes go and he would go to lonely places, the Bible says, and he would pray by himself. And the disciples would observe this. They'd watch Jesus go off into a mountain and he would sometimes pray all night. Uh, the disciples watched Jesus. He'd be interacting with the crowds. He'd be like healing people and doing his thing. And then randomly, Jesus would just be like, I got to get out of here. And he would break away from the crowd and he would go off to a private place and he would pray. And so the disciples were watching this. They were watching Jesus and they noticed that in the natural rhythm of Jesus's life, that he would oftentimes retreat and go into prayer. And so his disciples, and this is what I want you to catch because this is so, I think this is so incredible. Jesus' disciples were not foreigners to prayer, right? They, were, they, were, they grew up uh, as these young Jewish men. So they grew up in the synagogue. They would have been educated through the, through the Jewish education system, which of course included uh, learning about prayer. So these guys would have known how to pray. They would have seen prayer. Prayer would have been a normal part of their lives. And yet when they watched Jesus pray, there was something that was so foreign to them about the way he prayed. There was something that was so qualitatively different about the way that Jesus prayed that when they saw him, and here's one of those occasions, it says one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. Jesus was off praying again. And his disciples are like, man, he's praying again. He's gone again. He's been for, man, for three hours. The guy's been gone again. So when Jesus came down uh, from the place that he was praying, his disciples asked him, Jesus, can you teach us how to do whatever it is that you're doing? Because we've been taught to pray. We've seen people pray, but no one prays like you do. We, we've never seen anyone engage in prayer, Jesus, the way that you uh, engage in prayer. And so this is so insightful because it tells us that the disciples recognized something that was very unique about the way that Jesus prayed. And then here's the crazy thing. After they ask him, Jesus, can you teach us to pray? You know what Jesus does? He goes on to teach him how to pray. He doesn't say, oh, you know what? Prayer is just one of those. It's just talking to God. And so you do it the way you want to do it, and I'll do it the way that I want to do it, and every way is just as good as the next way. Jesus says, no, 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 I could teach you how to do this. 
In other words, there is a right way to do it, and there is a wrong way to do it. In other words, what Jesus is telling us is that prayer is something that can be taught and learned. And that's an amazing concept, because I think for some of us, maybe you grew up, and like I said, if you kind of grew up in the religious thing, I know not everybody did, but you've probably been told, hey, there's no right or wrong way to pray. You just go ahead and pray however you want to. Prayer is just talking to God, and if you got that, then you're good to go. That's not what Jesus says. Jesus says, actually, there is wrong ways to pray, and there is a right way to pray. And uh, in fact, that's what we want to talk a little bit about today. In fact, I want to look at a parallel passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. In fact, I want to encourage you to grab your Bibles with me and turn there if you would. Uh, We're going to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're going to look at um, a passage where Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray. Uh, Matthew chapter 6, by the way, uh, is found on page 678 in those Bibles we have provided for you. And so if you didn't bring a Bible with you this morning, you can just go ahead and grab one of those that we have provided and flip to page 678. Uh, Matthew chapter 6 uh, there. Let me just also say that if, uh, if you're a guest with us this morning, you just don't own a Bible, like if you don't have one, um, would you just take one of ours and make it a gift from us to you? Uh, we, we think it's so important that you have a Bible, and so we would love to give you one as a gift, and you can grab that. Uh, but page 678 in those Bibles, or if you're a smartphone person or you're a, a tablet person, you can get on our Wi-Fi here, and you can download a free app called Version, Y-O-U Version. And uh, it's awesome. You get the Bible anywhere you want it, several translations, all for free. And so we, we, uh, we strongly uh, encourage you to do that too. So anyway, uh, Matthew chapter 6, page uh, 678. Now here's what we're going to see in Matthew chapter 6. Now Jesus in this passage, just like in Luke 11, he's teaching his disciples to pray. But the reason we want to look at Matthew chapter 6 is because not only is he teaching his disciples how to pray, he's also teaching his disciples how not to pray. And so in this passage, what we're going to see is we're going to see three different types of prayer, two bad examples that Jesus gives, two wrong ways to pray, where Jesus says, do not pray like this, and then one correct example, one right example. So two bad examples, one right example. And what you're going to see today is that all three of them are going to start with the letter P. Very Baptist of me to do that, right? So three types of prayer, two bad examples, one good example. Let's read the whole passage, and then um, we'll go through and explain this. So starting off in verse 5. Jesus says, and when you pray, remember he's teaching his disciples how to pray here, when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received the reward in full. But when you pray, go in your room, close the door, pray to your Father who's unseen, and then your Father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like the pagans, for they think that you'll be heard because of your many words. Don't be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you even ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. And I'm actually going to stop right there, because Jesus goes on and he gives one of the most familiar prayers in the entire Bible, uh, what's oftentimes called the Lord's Prayer here. But I think right there, in this, in just from verse 5 to, verse five to 9, I think we see, uh, we see Jesus kind of giving us, like I said, two bad examples where he says, do not pray. If you're praying this way, you're praying wrong. And he gives us one right example. He says, this is the correct way that you pray. So let's just look at all three of them. Let's consider each one of them. Right? So the first one that I think Jesus gives us, the bad example of prayer, is something that I call performance prayer performance prayer. And I'm just pulling this right out of the passage, okay? So if you look uh, real quick at verse 5 again, in verse 5 we see this. He says, and when you pray, 
Don't be like the hypocrites, is what he says. For they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received the reward and full. Now, what, what is Jesus talking about when he's talking about hypocrites who stand on the street corners and in the synagogues? Well, what Jesus most likely had in mind um, was he would have been talking about the Jewish leaders of that time. So, so back in this time, some of you might know um, that there were some very, very strong religious leaders called the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Um, and part of their regular uh, religious kind of service was a regular, a regular part of their, of, their, uh, of their piety was that they would have prayed in public. And so it was a very normal thing for these guys to stand up in the street corners and pray so that everyone could hear them. It was very normal. Part of their, it was a part of their worship services in the synagogue that someone would get up and they would pray in front of other people. And what Jesus is saying in this passage, he's, it's not that he's condemning public prayer. It's that he's simply confronting the tendency that religious people have sometimes to simply pray in such a way that they're, they're just trying to please other people. And so Jesus puts forth for us here, he says, look, and when you pray, let me tell you a couple wrong ways to pray. He says, first and foremost, here's a, here's a way you shouldn't pray. Don't practice performance prayer. Don't pray in such a way that the only audience that you're trying to please are the people who are around you. Right? And so Jesus says that this is a wrong way to pray. And the reason is, I think, because not only is, does it give us an incorrect idea of prayer, but it also gives us a strange view of God. It gives us a strange view of ourselves. And it gives us a strange view of what success in prayer is. So let me just show you what I'm talking about. I made this little, this little uh, chart. And, uh, and as we talk about prayer, I just want to show you this chart real quick. You can put that slide up. And what I want to show you is that performance prayer, it, 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 the reason that Jesus says this is not the type of prayer I want you to engage in it's because that it gives us a wrong picture of God, um, it gives us a wrong picture of ourselves, and it causes us to misdefine uh, what success in prayer is. So let's just think about this for a minute. If I'm practicing performance prayer, right, if I'm simply praying to please other people, just the hearers that are around me, what does that say about God? Well, it says this. Basically, it says that God is unnecessary. God's unnecessary, right? If, if the sole reason that I'm praying is because I'm a religious person, that, that wants uh, other religious people to be impressed with me, that wants other religious people to, to look at me with, with a high amount of respect, well, then God is pretty much unnecessary, right? In this type of prayer, you're not actually praying to God. You're actually praying to other people, uh, trying to impress them. And so Jesus says, don't pray this way. I don't want you to pray this way because when you pray this way, um, you have a wrong picture of God. I'm not even necessary, in this type of prayer. But it also means something about me. So for me, if I'm practicing performance prayer, uh, what does that say about me? Well, it means this. It says that I'm an actor, first and foremost. I'm an actor. Jesus uses the word hypocrite, which that wouldn't have been an insult as much as it just would have been the truth, right? The word hypocrite um, in the Greek language literally is the word that means actor. That's what it means. And think about it. What is an actor? An actor is someone who gets in front of an audience and pretends to be something in public that's not true of them in private. And so Jesus says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, the hypocrites who, who would gladly get in front of a group of people and pray these elaborate and passion-filled prayers, but in private, nothing of the sort is happening. And Jesus says, that's hypocrisy, that you're being an actor, right? And so um, Jesus says, this type of prayer is wrong because it, it gives us a wrong view of God. God isn't even necessary. God's out of the equation when you're practicing this prayer. He says, it makes us actors and actresses. It makes us, uh, we're, we're outwardly pretending to be something that isn't inwardly true. We're publicly expressing something about ourselves that isn't privately the case. So Jesus says, you're an actor. And not only that, it also makes us very competitive with each other, doesn't it? 
Because when we pray this way, then it's like we hear other people praying and we think to ourselves, oh man, that was such an awesome prayer. That person is way better than I am. Or we hear other people pray and we say, <laughs> that prayer was dumb. I could outpray them any day. And, and it, we become competitive because we're focusing on the prayer itself, the words of our prayer. See, see, what happens in me when I'm practicing performance prayer is that when I'm praying, I'm focusing more on how my words are going to impress those who hear those words than I am focusing on the one who I'm praying to. God's not even in the equation as it relates to performance prayer. So Jesus says, I don't want you to pray this way. And success in performance prayer, how do you know you're succeeding at performance prayer? Well, that's pretty easy. It's, uh, it's, it's really when you're seen and praised by others. If other people see you and praise you, oh, what a beautiful prayer. Oh, my goodness. When you prayed that, it was just so remarkable. That's success. And, and here Jesus says, he even says it in this passage, he says, I tell you that if you pray this way, you've already see, received your reward. You already got what you wanted, right? This type of prayer, the reward is simply to be recognized and to be seen by others. And so Jesus says, there is, there's a wrong way to pray. He says, and this is, this is one example. One of the wrong ways to pray is performance prayer. When you only pray when you're with other people uh, who are of the same religious persuasion that you are, when you only pray in public with other people, but you're never praying privately by yourself, he says, you might, you got to be careful about that because there's a very real danger that you could fall into performance prayer. And I'll just tell you guys this. I think that, that for, um, and like I said, I know that not everyone kind of grew up in the church thing, but I think for those of you who grew up in and around the church, or if you grew up with a strong religious background, I think that this is a very, very real danger for us, that we could fall into performance prayer. I was actually thinking about it this week, and I was just, I was, I was trying to be really honest with myself. I'll be honest, this really convicted me when I was reading this, because I thought to myself, I started to ask myself some pretty serious questions. I started to ask myself, do I spend more time praying publicly or privately? Now, let's be honest with you. I was like, I spend more time praying publicly with other people than I do privately in my own, like, dedicated, concentrated time in prayer. It was convicting to me, and I asked myself this question, do I pray more passionately when I'm alone or when I'm with others? And, uh, and is my public prayer life, is it, is, it a, is, it, is it an overflow of what's happening privately? And as I was looking in the mirror and uh, you know, just looking at myself and thinking about this, I was really convicted because I thought, you know what, man? Uh, there might be some hypocrisy there for me. I, as, I, as I look at my own prayer life, I can see some hypocrisy that, that when I pray, sometimes I'm more concerned about what you would think uh, about me than I care about the one who's behind my prayer, that my, how I'm addressing God. And I think for those of us who, like I said, we kind of grew up in the church thing, it's a very real temptation that, uh, that, yeah, the only time I'm really praying is when I'm at church on Sunday with other people or when I'm at life group during the week or, or whenever we have like some kind of meeting, we'll pray. But outside of that, it's not happening in a private way. And Jesus would look at that and he'd say, you need to be very careful about that because there is a very real temptation that, uh, that, that I think we might have that we would be actors, right? That we would say things and act in certain ways to impress each other uh, for those who are kind of in that uh, ballpark. And so Jesus says, I want you to understand prayer. I want to teach you disciples how you should pray. He said, let me just give you one bad example, performance prayer. Don't be like the hypocrites, all right? Don't simply pray to please others. Don't make that your ambition in prayer. If that's the case, you've already received your reward in full, Jesus says. So the first type of prayer we see here uh, that Jesus addresses is this idea of performance prayer. Here's the second one. The second type of prayer that we see here is what I call pagan prayer, or actually what Jesus calls pagan prayer. And uh, once again, I just pulled this right out of the passage. Did you see it right here? Look at verse 7. 
Uh, Jesus says this. He says, and when you pray, don't keep on babbling like the pagans, for they, they think that they'll be heard because of their many words. Right? Don't, don't keep babbling like the pagans do. Some of you have a different translation, and in your translation, it might say this. It might say, don't keep babbling like the Gentiles do. Now, what does Jesus have in mind when he's talking about the pagans or the Gentiles here? Well, this is what Jesus would have had in mind. Um, in Israel, surrounding Israel, there were neighboring nations, and the neighboring nations would have been, anyone who was a non-Jewish person would have been considered a Gentile. And they practiced a whole, different, uh, a whole different set of religious standards. And so we talked about this a little bit last week. Most of the pagans would have been polytheistic, which meant they worshipped several different gods. And one of the things that the pagans believed is they believed that when they prayed to their gods that they would be heard by, by, their, uh, by their repetition. And so they would literally memorize prayers and they would say them over and over again, almost like a mantra. And if they said, and they believe that if I say this a certain amount of times, then that will guarantee that this God that I'm praying to will give me the thing that I'm praying for. And so Jesus looks at that and he says, look, you guys, when you pray, I don't want you to pray that way. I don't want you to pray uh, in this babbling, repetitious, kind of this mantra type of way. And he says, because these pagans, they believe that they're going to be heard because of their many words, because of the, the, the whatever, the right combination of words that they get in the right order, that if you just say it the right way and you say it a certain amount of times and you get in the right position and you pray a certain amount of times, that that will guarantee um, that God will hear your prayers. And Jesus says, I don't want you to pray that way because that's the way that the pagans pray. And, and I think the reason, once again, that Jesus doesn't want us to pray this way is because, again, not only, does it, not only does it misdefine prayer, but I think it causes us to understand God wrongly, and it causes us to understand ourselves wrongly, and it causes us to understand uh, the, the, the view of success on prayer in the wrong way. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to our chart for a second. Think about pagan prayer. Just think about it for a second. If I believe that by simply repeating the same phrase over and over again, that if I do that the right way, that that's going to cause God to listen to me. If I believe that about God, what does that mean then about God? Well, it means a few things, right? It means first and foremost that God's impersonal. God's impersonal, right? He doesn't actually care about me. I just have to get the right set of words in the right order, say them the right amount of times, and, and if I can do that, then that'll guarantee my success. So God is an impersonal God. He doesn't actually care for me. He's maybe just some cosmic force that's out there. It also means that God is reluctant, that he's not eager to hear me, that he doesn't uh, particularly want to, uh, to, to give me his ear, but he's reluctant. And you have to kind of manipulate God in order to get what you want. And that's the other thing, too. If, if, if this is true about God, if pagan prayer is, is actually the way that we talk to God, if that's true, that means that God is able to be manipulated that he's kind of like, um, like a big sleeping giant in the sky. And if you can somehow get the right combination of words or, or the right combination of actions to address him the right way, that you can wake him up. And it's just, it's just very distant. God can be manipulated. He's reluctant to give you what you want. He's aloof. He's not really with it. And this view basically says that God is kind of like a, a magic genie in a bottle. And if you can just rub the bottle the right way, then you can get the genie to come out. And that's sort of the view of the pagan prayer, right? That's kind of the idea here. And, uh, and Jesus says, I don't want you to pray that way, partly because it gives you the wrong picture of God. God is not some cosmic sleeping giant in the sky 
that, that some genie in some bottle that you've got to rub something the right way and he's going to come and he's going to answer you. That's not the right pick. God isn't some cosmic slot machine that if you just happen to get the right combination of things in order that that means that you're going to win the jackpot. He's like, you, it's the wrong premise to understand prayer by. So not only does it, does, it, does it misrepresent the heart of God, it also misrepresents our part in prayer. Because think about it. If I believe in pagan prayer, what does that mean for me? Well, that means this. It means... Um, it means that basically my reaction is uh, religious recitation. Basically, my job is to recite some religious thing over and over again. My, my, it, my mind doesn't even need to be involved. As long as my mouth is moving, uh, my mind and my heart don't need to be engaged. Uh, it also means that my response is, tends to be formulaic repetition. I tend to view God more as formulaic. Um, if I, like I said, if I, if I get this right combination of words, if I sit in this way or if I lay down in this, kneel in this way or face this direction when I pray, then somehow that's going to get God's attention. And, uh, and so once again, Jesus is like, this is not the right way. I don't want you to pray this way because um, it misrepresents me. Um, you get a wrong picture of what your part in prayer is. And then, of course, you have a wrong definition of success. The definition of success in pagan prayer, quite simply, is this that I get what I want. That's the definition of success in pagan prayer. I pray for something. If, if, I, if I get the thing I asked for, it worked. If I don't get the thing that I asked for, then it didn't work. And that's the definition of success in pagan prayer. And Jesus says, I don't want you to practice pagan prayer because that's not right. That's not correct. Now, I'll just, I'll just be honest with you guys. As I was preparing this, I begin to, we can, we can kind of, I think you and I, we can look at this and we can think about, man, that's so regressive and that's so, it's so crazy to think that people used to think that way, right? That if you just, if you just get the right order of prayer, that that somehow God's going to, that just seems so regressive and so ancient. It's easy for us to scoff at that, but I think in reality, the most pervasive type of prayer and the most, uh, the most uh, prevalent view of prayer that I see in the church today is probably this one. And I think the reason is because I think for, for many of us probably in this room, we would define success in prayer the same way that the pagans would, wouldn't we? For many of us, we're like, I ask God for something. If he gives it to me, prayer works. If he doesn't give it to me, prayer doesn't work. And so the question we ask in our very pragmatic society that we live in a lot of times is, does prayer work? But I think when we ask the question, does prayer work, what we're asking is, did I get what I asked for? Right? So, so I can be like, God, I pray it doesn't rain this afternoon. Please don't let it rain. If it doesn't rain, God answered my prayers. It worked. Right? God, I don't want it to rain this afternoon. I don't want it to rain. Please don't let it rain. If it rains this afternoon, then what do I think? Prayer didn't work if it rained. Right? Prayer didn't, the thing didn't work is what we tend to think. And Jesus would look at us and he'd say, if, if your question is, did it work? Um, did I get the thing that I wanted? then Jesus would say, you're actually asking the wrong question because you're, you're viewing prayer in a pagan way. The framework by which you're understanding prayer is the same way by which the pagans understand prayer. It's did the thing where I thought it was interesting. Um, C.S. Lewis was talking on the same topic, and of course, he says everything better than anyone else ever, besides Jesus, of course. Uh, but this is what he said in this, on this question, does prayer work, that many of us asked. He says this, he says, uh, for up till now, we've been tackling the whole question in the wrong way. Of course, the question is, does prayer work, right? So we've been, we've been uh, tackling this question in the wrong way and on the wrong level. 
The very question, does prayer work, puts us in the wrong frame of mind from the outset. Work, as if it were magic, a machine, something that functions automatically. He's like, look, and I love what Lewis is saying here, because he's saying exactly what Jesus is saying. If our definition of success in prayer is that I got what I want, then he says, then you're viewing prayer as some magic. You're viewing prayer as like, like a machine. It's something automatic. You put in the right combination, and you get the right result. And what we do then is we tend to think, uh, if, if I pray and I don't get what I want, that either A, either A, I'm not doing it right, and I need, to, I need to fix my prayer so that it works, or B, the whole thing is a scam. But Jesus would say, no, no, neither of those things are true. Um, it's just that you're praying wrong. You're just not praying correctly. If that's your definition of prayer, he says you're operating off of the wrong framework. And so Jesus says there's two wrong ways to pray. Performance prayer, um, when you're praying simply to please those around you. Pagan prayer, which is uh, that I just, if I pray the right way, then I get what I want. Jesus says, don't pray those ways. And, and then he goes on and he explains to us, he says, but when you pray, here's the way that you actually can understand it. And he gives us, I believe, the best definition of prayer ever. And this is what I call paternal prayer. Paternal prayer. What does paternal mean? It means fatherly, fatherly prayer. Jesus says, not performance prayer, not pagan prayer, but paternal prayer. Just look at a few of these verses. Look at uh, verse 6 again. Jesus says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door. Pray to your Father, your Father, who's unseen. Then your Father, who sees what's done in secret, will reward you. If you look down again at verse 8 and 9, look at him. He says, Jesus says, don't, play like, don't pray like the pagans, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This is how you should pray then. Our Father, who's in heaven, our Father. Now, I, I just want you to understand that in this passage where Jesus is talking about prayer, that the prevalent word, the theme that Jesus gives here is Father. Six times in nine verses, Jesus stresses and emphasizes to us, when you pray to God, Father needs to be uh, the, the way that you address him. Now, you guys might remember if you were with us a few weeks ago, Steve was actually touching on this. The term father that's used by Jesus is not the formal word that we would use for father in our culture. It's actually the very informal word. It's a personal word. It's the same word. It's the equivalent to what a, a child would call their, their father. It would be dad or daddy. The word was Abba, Abba father, right? And so Jesus comes to his disciples. I think, yeah, I think this is so awesome. His disciples come up to him and they're like, Jesus, Man, there's something qualitatively different about the way you pray. We, we notice that you go off by yourself often. You'll spend hours in prayer. We don't know anyone who does that. I mean, we, in our, in, in back, they'd be like, our religious landscape, we see people praying in public. We see people praying in the, with this mantra over and over again. He's like, but Jesus, when you pray, it looks so different. And Jesus says, well, let me teach you how to do it. He's like, and if you really want to understand prayer, if you really want to get it, he says, you have to start by first understanding the one behind prayer. And if you want to understand the one behind prayer, Jesus says, the relational framework that will help you really understand what prayer is all about is that you need to understand that God is your dad. God is your father. He's your daddy. He's Abba. That's what he is. And Jesus says, and if you can understand that, then you can understand prayer. But if you don't understand that about God, then you're going to miss the whole thing. The whole thing is going to be jacked up. You're going to mess up your view of God. You're going to mess up your view of yourself, and you're not going to understand how prayer works. But if you can understand that the relational framework by which you can understand prayer the most best is that God is dad, you'll understand everything else, what Jesus says. Now this, you have to understand, this would have been an unbelievable paradigm shift for Jesus' disciples, and here's why. 
14 times in the Old Testament, only 14 times in the entire Old Testament, is God referred to as Father. Only 14. And the 14 times in the Old Testament that God is referred to as Father, it's always God is the Father of the nation of Israel. It's never a personal type of way. It's always this very broad, inapproachable way, right? 65 times in Matthew, Mark, and Luke does Jesus address God as Father. 100 times in the Gospel of John, Jesus calls God Father. That's 165 times in the New Testament. We see Jesus approaching God in a way that we've never seen before. The Jewish leaders back in this time, whenever they would have prayed, they would have used these lofty terms. They would have used these inapproachable terms to address God. So they would have come to God and said things like, Sovereign Lord. That was the way that they addressed God. And then Jesus comes along, and he's like, Dad, Daddy. And, and he's praying in a way that no one's ever seen before, and the disciples are confused and perplexed. So they come to Jesus like, can you teach us how to do it? He's like, sure, sure. Let me tell you how not to do it. Performance prayer's out. Pagan prayer's out. He's like, if you really want to understand prayer, you need to understand that God is your Father. And here's the cool thing. When you begin to understand that God is your Father, not only does it help you understand something about God, but it helps you understand something about yourself, and it helps us understand what success in prayer really is. So let's think about that again. Let's go back to our chart. All right, so uh, what does God as dad tell us about God himself? Well, it tells us a lot of things, doesn't it? First and foremost, it tells us that God's personal. It tells us that God is personal and that he's relational. He's dad, man. He's not some cosmic far-off force who doesn't care about us. He's, he's, he's our father in heaven. He's attentive. He cares for us. He's relational. He's a personal being. And, 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 he, and the other thing it communicates to us, quite frankly, is that God cares for us more than we can imagine. And look, I know, unfortunately, I know that the, the, it's, it's one of the saddest things is that the title of father has been so degraded in our culture. But, but Jesus says, look, if you really want to understand prayer, he says, think about the way a good dad interacts with his kid. He said, and if you can get that picture in your mind, you can start to understand what prayer is all about. Prayer, the fact that God's Father, it communicates to us that God cares for us more than we can ever imagine. I'm telling you, uh, I know for me, this truth came to life in a powerful way when, when my first son was born, in a, in a way I never understood before. You know, because I, here I went to, you know, I went to Bible school and I went to seminary and I learned about God and I had my theology and my education and all that kind of stuff. And then, um, and then we had our, when, I, when we first had Neam, my, my, my first son. Of course, it happened with my second son, but not nearly as strong. It was such a paradigm shift for me. When I had my, my first son, I felt like a new dimension of love opened up for me that I never knew before. And, uh, and I remember looking at this little thing, this little boy, and I mean, he was, I mean, he's, you know, he could do nothing for me. He's useless for me, right? He, he cries and he... And he, and he craps himself. That's all he does, you know? And, uh, but I just remember being overwhelmed with this, um, this sensation. I'm like, I love this little guy. And it's like, he, I know he can't do anything for me, but I don't care. And, and I don't know what he's going to do with his life. And it doesn't matter because I, I just, I have this, this unbelievable, unconditional care and affection. And I'm a sinful, selfish person. And I'm like, how much more... And all of a sudden, when I was like, God is Father, my mind was just like, wow. And he must really love me. He must really care for me. And that's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, you need to understand, God's your Father. That means he, he, he cares for you more than you can imagine. 
He loves you. He's personal. He's relational. He's attentive. He's not, a, he's not aloof. He's not some God that's like, oh, I don't know what's going on. And you've got to get his attention by somehow getting the right combination of words. That's not the way he is. The Bible tells us that he's father. That means he cares more than we can imagine. The other thing that it means, I think this is so important too, it means that he's advanced in understanding, right? In the same way that an earthly father is advanced in understanding and maturity above his children, in the same way you need to understand that God is advanced in his understanding, that God sees things that we don't see. The book of Isaiah tells us that God's ways are higher than our ways, that his understanding is far above our understanding, that in the same way that infant children have a different way of thinking than adults who are more mature and can consider more things, God is the same way. And this totally helps us understand uh, prayer, doesn't it? If you guys were to follow me around in a given day and you were to follow, let's just say, my wife and I and our two little boys, we got a three-year-old and a four-year-old. If you were to follow us around, you would see that my children ask us probably 300 requests a day, probably somewhere in the neighborhood of that. And you know what? We, we care. I mean, we love our kids. I'm, like I said, I'm selfish and I'm messed up, um, but I do. I love my kids. And you know what's going to happen from those 300 requests? Sometimes the answer is going to be yes when they ask me for something. Like, I'm thirsty, can I have a drink? Sure, absolutely, right? Sometimes the answer is gonna be no. No, not, desp not despite my love for them, but because of my love for them, because I understand something that they don't understand. And sometimes my answer is gonna be, not right now, right? Not right now. And once again, I'm gonna answer those questions differently, not in spite of my love, but because of my love. Now, sometimes, quite honestly, I'm gonna answer those questions those ways because I'm annoyed with them. God's not that way. That's just me being a sinful person, right? But most of the time, I'm answering their questions the way I'm answering them, not despite my love, but because of my love, right? So example number one, my son comes up, Dad, I'm thirsty. Can I have a drink? Of course you can have a drink, right? I, I love you. I don't want you to, to be, I don't want you to die of thirst, so I'm going to give you something to drink. I care about you, right? Now, but there's other times when my kids come up and ask me for things, and the answer is no. So give you just a quick example on that. I probably don't need to build a, a strong case for this. I'm sure you already know what I'm talking about. But my oldest son loves to take, he's, he's one of those, he's like his mom. He takes everything with him everywhere. He wants to bring everything with him. And so uh, we'll go somewhere, and he'll be like, Dad, can I bring my toys with me? And I'm like, all of them? Yeah. No, you, know, you can't bring all your toys. We, so for a little while there, we said, you can bring one toy with you to play in the car. And so, of course, he'd bring one toy. Most likely, his bat, he loves Batman, so he's got his Batman action figure. And he'd play with his Batman fi action figure in the car. And then we're, we, inevitably, here's what happened. We get to where we needed to be. So we get to the grocery store or to church or to life group or wherever it was that we were going. And Niam would ask me, Dad, can I take Batman with me to the grocery store? And at first, I was like, eh, okay. And he would take Batman in, and this is what happened every time. I don't know how the kid did it. He, he, he's a better magician than David Blaine because that Batman figure was gone in 0.3 seconds. We would get out of the car. He'd have Batman. We'd get into the store. I'd be like, where's Batman? And he'd be like, I don't know. Where did you put it? And I'm like, you're blaming me for this. You know? And he just, it would be gone. So, so that, that happened every time. And so now when my son says, Dad, can I take Batman into the store? You know what I say? No. And it's not, and my son goes, aww. And it's not because, it's not in spite of my love. It's not because I don't care. It's because I do care. I'm like, I want you to play with Batman for a long time. I don't want you to lose him in five seconds, right? And so that's the answer. This week, this week we were at Chick-fil-A, and uh, we were hanging out there, and uh, my son, my boys are crazy. They were, being, they were playing in the play area, and they were coming out. 
Leland, my youngest, goes up to some stranger's table and starts taking fries off of their plate and eating them. And he comes back to me and he's like, and the, and the family's just looking at me like, what's this all about, you know? And I was like, son, you can't know. You can't, I'm like, we've got to go back. And, so we went back and apologized. And I was like, I'm sorry. For, I'm like, Leland, say you're sorry. And he said he's sorry. He started crying. And I was like, I can't believe he, he would do that. I don't know where he'd get that. Are you going to finish that sandwich? You know, I, started, <laughs> I, I, didn't, I didn't actually do that. But, uh, but there's, there's some things I'm going to say yes to. There's some things I'm going to say no to. And there's some things I'm going to say you need to wait on that. And the reason isn't because I don't love my son. It's because I understand things that he doesn't understand. My ways are higher than his ways. I understand things and see things from a dimension that he doesn't. Listen, this is, this is how you've got to understand prayer. There are things that you might be asking God for right now that God would say no to, not, not in spite of his love, and it might feel that way. But the reason is because he knows something that you don't. He understands something. He understands that if he was to give that to you, it would be more harmful than it would be helpful. And he loves you and he cares for you. There's maybe some things that you're asking for right now that God is like, not now. Just not right. It's not that I don't want you to have that. It's just not right now. There's other things I have in mind for you. There's other things that I care about you a lot, and I don't want to see. And so, look, when we understand God as Father, um, Jesus says it gives you the right picture of God. It helps you understand the right framework in which you should pray. Not only that, it helps me understand my role in prayer, right? So, what's my role in prayer? Well, basically, what we see then is if God is Father, then that means. Um, that means for us that I can pray with boldness and I can pray with confidence. I can go boldly to God with confidence. This is what Hebrews says. I can go right into the throne room of God. I can ask him for anything. Why? Because he's dad. He's personal. He invites me to do it. I don't need to approach him with this sense of, of, uh, of, of apprehension. I can come right to him uh, with boldness, with confidence, and with authenticity. I can pray to him with authenticity. God, this is what I want. For whether it's good or not, I don't know. You're going to have to help me. You're my father. You love me but I'm just going to pray for, for the things that are on my heart authentically, right? Bring these things to you. So it helps us understand God. It helps us understand me. And then it also helps us understand success. How do we know that we're successful in prayer if God is Father? I think there's a few things. I think one, one of the ways that we know that we're successful is that uh, if, if our prayers result in greater, greater faith and trust in God's goodness, regardless of the answer, um, that, that's, that's, that's a win, if you walk away saying, God, you're my father, and however you choose to answer is, is your prerogative because you're dad, and I trust you and I love you, regardless, that's a win. That, that's success if you're praying to God as father. I think another, another thing that happens, uh, another form of success is that align, we have alignment with the heart of God. Right? We begin to say, God, I see things the way that you see things. I, I, uh, you and I are in tune. In the same way... That, uh, that every, every tool of communication is supposed to align the hearts of two individuals. So in the same way, when we communicate with God, I think, I think the win is that God and I are more synced up, that our hearts are united in the way that he wants. And then the other thing, and this one's a little tricky, the other thing the Bible says, and, and this comes right out of this passage, uh, the success in paternal prayer is actually a reward. If you look again... Uh, here in this passage, Jesus, Jesus actually says in uh, verse 6 there, he says, your father who sees what's done in secret will reward you. Your father will reward you. What is the reward of prayer? And uh, I'll be honest with you, I'm not sure because the Bible doesn't flat out tell us, but I have two thoughts. Here's one thought. I think one thought is that the reward of prayer is that God gives us more of himself. 
Some of you might remember in the book of Luke, Jesus gives this real quick parable. He says, um, he said, which one of you, if your son asks for uh, a loaf of bread, is going to give him a rock? And then he says, and if your son asks for a snake, who's going to, or your son asks for a fish, who's going to give him a snake? And then Jesus says this awesome statement. He says, so if you who are evil, uh, Jesus has a way of flowering things up. He's like, if you who are evil know how to give good things to your kids, how much more will your heavenly father give you the spirit? That's what he says, the spirit. I believe one of the major rewards of prayer is that God gives us more of himself. I'll give you my spirit. I'll give you me. That's what I'll give you. That's the reward that I'll give you. And the other thing that I noticed about the reward too is notice that the reward is not my reward. It's his reward. And here's one of the things that I learned about God is that what I want for myself, that what God wants for me, what the Father wants for me is always better than what I want for myself. And so Jesus says, if you pray to me, I'll give you my reward which is probably better than the thing you're asking for anyway. It's probably better anyway. So Jesus says to us in this, he says, you want to learn how to pray? Okay, here it is. To understand prayer, you need to understand the one who's behind prayer. He says, so performance prayer is out. Pagan prayer is out. He says, if you really want to know what it means to pray, then you need to lock into this idea that God is your dad. He's your father. He cares for you. He loves you. And he wants to engage with you this way. So here's my question to you. How are you praying? If you're praying, which one do you tend to lean to? Maybe you, like me, tend to lean towards performance prayer. Maybe for you, prayer is very pragmatic. If I ask for this thing and I get it, it worked. If I ask for this thing and I don't get it, it didn't work. Look, if that's the case, I can just tell you with confidence, we're not doing it right. Jesus says, if you want to do it right, if you want to pray right, you need to understand that God is Father. I'm going to ask the band to come up, and as they do, I just want to close with one final thought. And, you know, I, want to, I actually wanted to give you a couple minutes today to simply practice the things that we're saying. And, and the band's gonna play a little bit, and I'd encourage you to interact with God as Father. Just pray to him as Dad, and, uh, and speak to him on those relational terms. And so for those who follow Jesus, I would encourage you to do that during these next couple of minutes we have. This might be the only concentrated, dedicated time that you have this week to pray, and I would encourage you to do that. Whatever's on your heart, lay before him what's in you and approach him as dad, and maybe confess to him, if, if you're like me, confess to him the improper ways that you're engaging in prayer. But I do need to say this, and, and just the last thing I'll say is, if you're a person that's investigating Jesus, if you would tell me, you're like, I'm not really sure if I believe in God and those things, I actually have some bad news and some good news for you. Okay, here's the bad news. The bad news is um, that, that when Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, He's teaching a group of people who are already connected with him and they follow him, all right? And what I mean by that is this, is that not everybody has the right to address God as dad. The Bible tells us that the only way that that can happen, that you can address God as dad, is through believing and receiving the person of Jesus Christ. That's it. So 1 John, or I mean, uh, John chapter 1 tells us, for as many have received him and believe on his name, they have the right to be called the children of God. So, so the bad news is this, that if, you, if you're not a believer in Jesus, if you haven't received Christ, then you don't have the right to address God as Father. That's the bad news. But here's the good news. The good news is that Jesus invites everybody to be adopted into his family, everybody, regardless of where you're at. So I, I don't want to tell you that as an exclusion, telling you that you're not invited to pray this way. I'm telling you that as an invitation because God wants you to interact with him in this way, and he has offered his son so that you might be adopted, that you could call him father, you call him dad, and you could pray this way. 
and interact this way. And so if you're a person that doesn't know Jesus or you're a person that's investigating Christ, I just urge you today, man, today, why wouldn't you embrace Christ as Savior? Accept him, receive him, and believe in him. And you can come to him and call him Father. If you want to do that, it's not a tricky thing. You don't need to say any magic words. You can just speak from your heart to God's heart. Say, Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I accept you. I want to be part of your family, and I want to follow you. And then the Bible says that when you do that, when you receive and you believe in God, that he will give you the right to call him Father. You will have the right to be children of God. So maybe do that. Let me pray for us, and then I'll give you space to interact with God on your own. Jesus, we just want to say thank you for your word to us because um, as it relates to prayer, you did not leave us in the dark. You, you gave us a great example uh, here. You told us not only how to pray, you taught us how to pray, but you also taught us how not to pray. And I'm thankful for that, Jesus, because um, I do see a natural proclivity in my own heart to kind of to lean towards these other false views of prayer. Uh, God, I can see myself leaning towards performance prayer, praying in such a way to try to please the people who are, who are here instead of pleasing the one behind the prayer. God, I can see in my own heart just my pragmatic pagan tendencies that I, I tend to think if I ask for something and you give it, it worked, and if I ask for something and you didn't, it didn't work. And Jesus, you said that's all wrong. We got it all messed up if that's the way we view it. You're, you're dad. You're, you're our heavenly father, and you died to give us that right to be your children. And so we can come before you, we can ask you boldly, knowing that you love us and you care for us. And sometimes you're gonna say yes to us, sometimes you're gonna say no, because you know the thing we're asking for is not the best thing for us. And sometimes you're gonna tell us to wait on things, God. I pray that you would fix our perspective, help us understand that the relational framework in which we're to understand prayer is understanding that you're dad. Thanks, God. Thank you. What a privilege it is to call you father. What a privilege that we could call the God of the universe, Dad, that you care enough um, to connect with us personally. So Father, I ask that you guide us this morning as we pray to you in Christ's name.